The following message is by Pastor Steve Lee of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. Happy Easter, ICC. Um, I believe that this year may be the first year in my entire life that I'm not actually physically in a church building uh, on Easter. Uh, Maybe with the exception of my first two years of life, because I'm not sure about those years. Um, I don't think any of us have had to go through anything like this before in this uh, shelter-in-place order that we're experiencing right now. All of us confined to our houses uh, except for essential jobs or errands that we need to do. Uh, Every news source, every public official has made the message loud and clear to us over and over again. Stay in your homes and go out as little as possible if you want to be safe and keep others safe as well from this deadly coronavirus. And as far as I can tell, uh, just about every church seems to be complying with this order, figuring out uh, how to create some sense of community remotely. Although there are a few churches that uh, are stubbornly resisting these restrictions and continue to meet for worship. And it seems like these churches are framing it as either a freedom of religion issue or a spiritual battle, and to stop meeting in person would be tantamount to surrendering to the enemy. And as you might guess, I don't agree with these positions. I do, though, actually believe that there could be circumstances under which we would have to demonstrate resistance if we are forbidden from worshiping God. Uh, But this, with this current COVID-19 crisis, uh, I believe we are called to be good citizens and follow the government guidelines, not only for our own safety, but for the safety of others, especially those who are most vulnerable during this crisis. I believe in following these guidelines, we are essentially obeying Christ's command to love our neighbor as ourself. At the same time, I believe that our faith ought to result in a courageous response to this crisis, which may mean even at times putting ourselves in harm's way in order to love our neighbor. I want to acknowledge the bravery of our healthcare workers who are living this out on a daily basis as they are on the front lines of this crisis. We need to be in continual prayer for them. And as I've been saying for the past several weeks as well, I also believe that the disruption caused by this pandemic is an opportunity for us to be tested to see where we put our trust and to evaluate what really matters to us in our lives. It's also an invitation to the church to discover how we can continue to grow and thrive even when things have become so decentralized, and we're not able to be together in person? Are we going to basically just stay in a holding pattern until things return to normal? Or will we discover new ways to flourish and grow and experience God's will for us during these challenging times? 
I closed last week's message with this passage, Jeremiah 29, verse 5 to 7, that says, Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. I pointed out in that last message how God's invitation to his people was to quit fighting their difficult circumstances and to discover how his purposes were continued for them even though they were deported to a foreign country and had just experienced the most unimaginable and heartbreaking loss when their beloved city Jerusalem was destroyed. That's why a few verses later in verses 10 through 13 it says this is what the Lord says when 70 years are completed for Babylon I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Even in the midst of this ongoing coronavirus crisis, the message to us is clear that God is still in control. He still has purposes that he wants to accomplish in our lives, even right now. It's hard to imagine any pocket of humanity being so disconnected from the rest of the world that they have not actually heard about this crisis. But there are actually some who know nothing about it. They are the crews of ballistic submarines that are armed with nuclear missiles lurking in our ocean depths. They have left on their missions before this situation exploded into what it is today, this global pandemic. And on board, these submariners have no access to the internet or television or radio. They are intentionally blocked out from any news from the outside world so that they can remain totally focused and undistracted from completing their mission and so that they won't be demoralized by any news that they may receive from the outside world. Even, in fact, if a loved one dies, it's the protocol for most navies not to tell their crew member until the the mission is over. And they've docked. And so in a matter of days to weeks, when these submarines finally finish their mission and surface once again, they will return to a completely different world than the one that they had left months earlier. But we can also say that sheltered in these hermetically sealed worlds of theirs, uh, they've also been completely protected from this pandemic that has endangered the rest of the world. And so as I thought about this unique situation of these submarine crews, and as I thought about us being holed up in our houses, trying to stay safe as we shelter in place, I thought that this Easter I would speak on this theme of God providing a shelter of safety and salvation for those who put 
their trust in him. And so I want to do that by first looking at that theme in the Old Testament and seeing how Christ becomes a fulfillment of that theme in the New Testament. So why don't we pray and look to God as we look to his word. Father, on this uh, unique and unprecedented Easter, we find the global church unable to meet because of this pandemic. And all of us locked up in our houses seeking to stay safe from this deadly virus. And even as we do so, though, Lord, we know that your gospel still goes forth and your mission cannot be hindered. And that you are still at work in what seems to be such troubling circumstances that it feels as if the entire world has just been put on pause. And yet we know that you are still on mission. You are still accomplishing your purposes even in this moment. And so now we pray that you would feed us and nourish us through the work of your spirit and the work of your word as you open our eyes to your truth that can give us life on this Easter celebration as we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. One of the earliest stories of shelter and salvation is the story of Noah. Noah's Ark is one of the most memorable stories of our uh, childhood growing up in church. It is one of the highlights of Sunday school, but as adults, I think we rarely think about this story. Many of us have grown up with posters of the Ark filled with cute cartoon animals, and we were given a domesticated version of that story that really does not do justice to the story as the Bible itself tells it. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5 to 8, it says, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. The Lord, so the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And so God brought about this great flood that destroyed the entire earth at that time. Because of the exceeding evil in everyone's hearts. All of humanity had gone in such a dark direction that God declared judgment on it through this flood. Donald Millard writes, It took me a while to realize that these stories, while often used with children, are not at all children's stories. How did we come to think the story of Noah's Ark is appropriate for children? Can you imagine a children's book about Noah's Ark complete with paintings of people gasping in gallons of water, mothers grasping their children while their bodies go flying down white rapid rivers? It's a pretty graphic portrayal, but I think Miller is right. Only those who were on the ark, Noah and his family, were spared. Only they were saved. Everyone outside was completely wiped out. Genesis chapter 7, verse 7, it says, And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. The ark represented God's salvation in a world surrounded by evil and under God's judgment. Only if you were in that ark 
were you saved? In the book of Joshua, as we fast forward the story a bit, we find the story of Rahab. Joshua sent spies to scout the land of Canaan before they invaded it. And these spies ended up in the city of Jericho seeking refuge in the home of a prostitute named Rahab. Rumors reach the king of Jericho that she may be housing these spies, and so he demands that she give them up. But instead of complying with that order, she ends up hiding them and lying to the king, saying that they had already fled the city. And you wonder, why in the world would this woman help her enemies, the very ones who had come to destroy her people? Joshua chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, it says, And uh, said, and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, who you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. And so Rahab makes this great declaration of faith. I helped you because I know that your God is the one true God of heaven and earth. And so then out of that faith, she asks that her family might be spared when they come to conquer Jericho. And the spies tell her, tie a scarlet cord around the window of your house. And then bring your entire extended family into your house when you realize that the attack is imminent. And they say to her in Joshua 2.19, If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on on our head if a hand is laid on them. The message to Rahab was clear. The scarlet cord on your window means your house will be the only safe place of shelter in the entire city of Jericho when the attack happens. You can imagine the terror as she and her family Uh, experience that day, huddled in their homes, listening to the sounds of mayhem and death all around her. But that scarlet cord meant life to her and her family. If any of them ventured outside of the house, it would mean certain death. Staying sheltered in that house meant life. And once the battle was over, this is recorded in Joshua chapter 6, verse 24 to 25. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it. But they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab, the prostitute, with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And she lived among the Israelites She lives among the Israelites to this day. The third story I want to share is the story of the Passover. 
God tells Moses that judgment is coming to Egypt because despite all of the miraculous signs that he showed to Pharaoh, Pharaoh still refused to let God's people go. And so on the night of judgment, God says every firstborn person and animal would be struck down and killed. And as strange as it must have sounded to the Israelites, the only way that they would be spared of this judgment was through, of all things, a lamb. Each family was commanded to prepare for that night of judgment by killing a spotless lamb and putting some of the blood of that lamb on the door frames of their home. Exodus 12 verse 13 says, The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And the Israelites were to eat the meat of this lamb as part of a Passover meal. They were told to eat this meal dressed as if they were to go on a journey with their shirt tucked into their belt and sandals on their feet. And on that same night that they ate the meal, it was the night of judgment. And we're told that at midnight, a loud wailing was heard throughout the land of Egypt. You can imagine what it must have been like to be one among these Jewish families, huddled in their homes, hearing the sound of wailing from the Egyptian households. And yet, God's people were spared. As long as each of them remained sheltered in their homes, which were protected by the blood of this Passover lamb. Like Noah's ark, like Rahab's home. Each of these shelters represented a place of safety and salvation provided by God against His coming judgment. And this theme continues into the New Testament and is fulfilled through Jesus who revealed the heart of a shepherd who longed to provide a place of shelter, help, and rest for his people. Matthew chapter 9 Verse 35 to 36, it says, Jesus went throughout all the, through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And a little later in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus gives this invitation in chapter 11, verse 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In the Gospel of John, Jesus shares with his disciples that he was going to leave them so that he could provide a permanent place of safety and rest for them. In John chapter 14, verse 1 through 4, it says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go there and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me 
that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Well, Thomas replies in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? To which Jesus answers in verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All of these stories of shelter in the Old Testament are pointing to Jesus as the ultimate source of salvation from God's judgment. And what they all have in common is that there is only one solution, one shelter, one place of safety that God provides. The ark alone was able to save. The scarlet cord provided the only place where God was providing safety in the entire city of Jericho. Only those houses that were covered by the lamb's blood would be spared. It's interesting, when Moses confronted Pharaoh, demanding that he let God's people go free, Pharaoh responded in this way in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Pharaoh was essentially saying to Moses, Who do I care who this Yahweh is? All of us have our own gods. What does it matter what your God says I should do? I don't even know him. But what Pharaoh learned on the night of that judgment, when the firstborn died, when his firstborn died, was that there were no other gods but the God of Israel. And only this God of Israel, Yahweh, could offer salvation to all of us. Jesus affirms this truth when he tells his disciples, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, we sometimes forget that the first communion that Jesus took with his disciples in the upper room the night that he was betrayed was a Passover meal. But there was no mention at all of the presence of a lamb in this meal. If this was, in fact, a proper Jewish Passover, Passover meal, there was supposed to be a lamb at the table. But there wasn't because Jesus was telling his disciples that he was the Passover lamb. Noah's ark, the scarlet cord that saved Rahab, and her family, the Passover lamb. All of it was pointing ahead to Jesus. And that's why Peter declared to the rulers of Israel in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is the message of all of these stories of God's shelter is that there is no other way to be saved than through the blood of Jesus Christ. God has provided no alternate means of that safety and the salvation that we seek than through the blood of the Lamb. As I close the message, I want to fast forward to the last book in the Bible, 
the book of Revelation. During last year's Good Friday, I referenced Revelation 5, and I want to unpack it in a little more detail for this Easter. Because it records John's vision of heaven as a great drama unfolds before his eyes. In Revelation 1, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Most New Testament scholars, they believe that this scroll represents God's redemptive plan. Everything God said he would do for his people to secure their salvation. Warren Wearsby calls it, quote, the title deed to everything that God had promised. It contains the destiny of all of human history. It is the hope of every believer. In it is the promise of God's rest, our shelter, our salvation. But the thing is, the scroll cannot be opened because of these seven seals. The seal is shut. And so the drama continues in verses 2 to 4. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. There is this great search in heaven for anyone who is able to break these seals, someone worthy enough to do it. Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? There is an awkward silence. No one is found to open it. The silence is broken by the sound of weeping. John is heartbroken, he is devastated. And so he weeps uncontrollably because no one was found worthy to open the scroll. You have to remember that Revelation was written around the year 95 or 96 A.D. By this time, the church had already experienced horrible suffering and persecution. John had lived through the persecution and death of just about all of his fellow apostles, including the apostle Paul. And even he had been exiled on this island of Patmos, cut off from the community of God's people and unable to be in fellowship with the rest of the church. And now he is given a vision of heaven on this remote island where no one is found worthy and able to open the seal so that God's redemptive plan could be fulfilled. Has it been for nothing? All the sacrifice... All the loved ones John knew who had given up everything to follow Jesus, even with their own lives. All of the hopes and dreams of a better country. A place of shelter and rest that Jesus said he was preparing for them. Was it all a cruel joke? History has no meaning. There is no real hope in this life. You can understand why John wept the way that he did. But then John's weeping is interrupted by one of the elders in heaven. And what is captured next is what I believe one of the most awe-inspiring passages 
in all of Scripture. Continues from verse 5 to 10. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. In other words, they were saying, The hope of our promised shelter is real. A new heaven and earth being prepared for us because Jesus, the slain and but resurrected lamb, was alone found worthy to open that scroll. And this choir in heaven is joined by a greater choir. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And that choir of ten thousands is joined by an even greater choir involving all of creation. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. An awesome vision of what awaits all of us in Christ Jesus. But even as I share all of this, I'm sharing it to a community of God's people huddled in our homes, afraid of a deadly virus that is sweeping like a plague over the whole earth right now. And as I said in an earlier message, just because we're Christians doesn't mean we are immune to this virus. And it's not just COVID-19. We aren't immune to any other suffering that we experience in the brokenness of a broken world. So then where is the hope? Dane Ortland writes, Perhaps looking at the evidence of your life, you do not know what to conclude except that this mercy of God in Christ has passed you up. Maybe you have been deeply mistreated misunderstood, betrayed by the one person you should have been able to trust, abandoned, taken advantage of. Perhaps you carry a pain that will never heal till you are dead. If my life is any evidence of the mercy of God in Christ, you might think, I'm not impressed. 
To you, I say, the evidence of Christ's mercy toward you is not your life. The evidence of his mercy toward you is his. Mistreated, misunderstood, betrayed, abandoned, eternally in your place. If God sent his own son to walk through the valley of condemnation, rejection, and hell, you can trust him as you walk through your own valleys on your way to heaven. As Ortland so eloquently says, we're not necessarily sheltered from the pain in this world, but what the hope of the gospel, what the hope of Easter is, is this, is that God is preparing a shelter for us that this world could never touch. And if God would allow his own son to go through this suffering, it is speaking a loud and clear message of his commitment to us that he is going to take care of us. The writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, verse 13 to 16, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. I think the hope that we celebrate on this Easter celebration is that hope for a better country, for a better place. I want to close with how the Bible itself closes with this promise of God himself to all the saints covered by the blood of the Lamb. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 1 to 7, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Let's pray. Father, on this Easter day, as our life feels dominated by the fear of this deadly virus. We pray that we would recognize you as the greatest shelter in our lives. Your promises are true. 
and they will be fulfilled. All of our hopes of a better place will be realized one day. Because the Lamb, Jesus Christ, was found worthy to open the scroll and to fulfill all of the plans that you have for us. And so on this Easter day, may we know the victory that is ours in Christ Jesus and realize that the only way is through Jesus Christ, who is our true shelter. For it is in his name we pray. Amen. Now receive the benediction. May all you saints who long for a better country one day find yourselves there because of what Jesus, the Lamb of God, has sacrificed for you. May God give you the faith to understand that our light and momentary afflictions in this life are preparing for you an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And may you be found among the tens of thousands gathered around the throne, declaring to Jesus, you are worthy of it all. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.